Hello, ladies. Welcome to the Hourly to Exit podcast. I'm your host, Erin Austin. My goal with every episode is to share information and resources to help you achieve the next level of growth in your expertise-based business. We all know generating income from our expertise is pretty easy. The challenge is in scaling and building a business that can run without you. Join me here every week to make sure you are building an asset that can be used to fund your goals and your legacy. Before we get started though, one little disclaimer, because I'm a lawyer. The information I share on the podcast is general in nature and is provided for information purposes only. It is not to be relied upon nor construed as providing legal advice or legal opinions about any specific issue or set of facts. Now, here we go. Hello, ladies. Welcome to the Hourly to Exit podcast. I am very excited about today's guest, Greg Alexander, who I've been a big fan of since I first heard him on the Built to Sell radio with John Warlow talking about his exit. So welcome, Greg. I'm very thrilled to have you here. Well, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Will you introduce yourself to the audience, please? Sure. My name is Greg Alexander. I am the founder of Collective 54. Collective 54 is a mastermind community dedicated to boutique professional services firms. And we got about, I think it's 300 members now. And what we really help them with is how to grow, scale, and someday exit their services firm, which I know you are very passionate about. Yes. And completing the entrepreneurial journey in services is a very nuanced thing. So that's what we're focused about. And it's it's wonderful to speak to you all today. Wonderful. So there is a story behind the name Collective 54. Yeah. So the story is, so the number 5-4 is the North American Industry Classification Code for Professional Services. Mm-hmm. So within that, that is lawyers, accountants, consultants, marketing agencies, IT service providers, pretty much anyone who is marketing, selling, and delivering their expertise. And it's the second biggest sector in the U.S. economy, trailing only oil and gas. It's about $2 trillion per year spent in this sector with a 5% organic growth rate, employs 10 million people. So we're very lucky to be in that sector. And that's the reason for the name, or I should say the 54. The reason for the collective is because that's what we are. We're a community or a collective of businesses. That is fantastic. I did not realize that that sector was so large. And mm-hmm. maybe it explains why I sometimes struggle, frankly, to define who I'm talking to, because it is such a large group and very diverse group within that expertise-based business group. So yeah, I find myself sometimes talking to the soloist and sometimes talking to the CEO and goes back and forth, but a lot of the same issues among yeah. Yeah, it's big. So therefore, it's hard to define, you know, and I have that problem sometimes as well. I mean, I might speak to somebody who's running a marketing agency and they'll say, what do I have in common with a law firm? And I'll say a lot more than you know. Mm -hmm. You're in the service business, you're in the people business, you're marketing your expertise. The business model is the same. Yes, the domain is different, Mm -hmm. but the business model is the same. Yeah. So your collective, a mastermind, like how are you different from other masterminds? We're different really in three ways. So first is the obvious way. We're only focused on a single industry. Most mastermind communities, and I'm a member of some, I'm a member of YPO, Tiger 21, and they're wonderful organizations, but they're not focused on one industry. They have literally dozens of industries. And our contention is that industry context matters. So that's the first thing. 
The second thing is we're focused on a segment within that industry. We refer to it as the boutique. And we define that based on number of employees. So you have to have more than 10, but fewer than 250. These are kind of post-startup, but pre-exit. The analogy I use is that they're in their kind of awkward teenage years. They're not a kid anymore, but they're not an adult. So we're really focused on that. And then the third thing is we're laser focused on the founder or co-founders because a lot of what we do with our programming is around building wealth as opposed to generating an income. So I would say those are the three primary differences. However, I do encourage everybody to be in as many communities as possible. The limitation there, of course, is how much time do you have to dedicate to these things. But I'm a big believer that learning from peers is the best way to learn. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned the difference between earning income and building wealth, which is sometimes hard for people to wrap their head around. Can you explain to the audience like how you like to look at the difference between the two? Sure. So, I mean, in the context of a services firm, how do you earn an income? Well, you run a profitable business, which means you can charge enough for your service and the cost to deliver the service can be maintained or reduced over time and you earn that spread. And that's the business model of services. However, not all revenue is the same. So the mental model shift is to get off the income statement and start thinking about the balance sheet. And that's where wealth is determined, you know, assets minus liabilities. And say to yourself, if somebody was to try to buy my firm, how would they place a value on it? For example, if you're running your firm and you basically are the firm as the founder, there's no wealth to be created there because God forbid something happened to you, the business would go away. However, if you built a real robust team, so much so that you as the founder no longer sell work and no longer deliver work, the team does it, then there's real wealth to be created there. In addition, you got to generate revenue from sources other than the billable hour. And you talk an awful lot about this, and I'm so pleased to meet you because we share that in common. These are assets of various kinds. Sometimes they're protected assets and intellectual property, and you can generate royalties or licensing fees off of that. And that's a wonderful thing. Sometimes it's intellectual capital that might not be protected. However, you can monetize by charging a premium for your service because of some methodology or tool that comes along with the pair of hands. So those are the ways that wealth is created within the professional services segment. Yeah, you know, I'd like to say that I'm my own avatar, that I have been a soloist since 2006, I believe. And so someone asked me, like, how long you've been in business? And I have to say, well, <laughs> I've been on my own since 2006, but I've been selling my time. I've selling my time for a good 10 years without really thinking about building a business. So I like to say I've been in business for three years, <laughs> although I've been on my own since 2006, because I really was just selling my time and earning income, not creating any assets. And so to the point of creating assets and intellectual property. Hey, everyone, a quick word from our sponsor, Think Beyond IP. Think Beyond IP helps your professional services firm build the essential legal and strategic foundation required to confidently scale your business by developing, protecting, and leveraging intellectual property assets. You can find us at thinkbeyondip.com. Now, back to the show. So when people are providing their services, they have their expertise, they are used to going out to get clients and fulfilling whatever the needs are for their clients. How do they make that shift to, okay, I'm going to start thinking about creating either methodologies around that or creating materials that are protective materials around that. 
because people get caught up with things like software and courses and books, you know, the big, shiny intellectual property pieces. But there's so much more than that that helps create a well-run business. Yeah. Well, you know, I'll share a little bit about my story prior to Collected 54, because it might be a good illustration of that point that you just made. So I started a firm, a management consulting firm in 2006, and it was called Sales Benchmark Index or SBI for short. And I sold that business in 2017, and it was one of the larger exits. We sold it for $162 million. And the important thing to keep in mind there is we only had 30 employees. So how do you sell a consulting firm with 30 people for $162 million? It's because we had these assets. Mm-hmm. And the primary asset was what we called the revenue growth methodology. And it wasn't a software tool. It wasn't a training course. It was a consulting methodology. And it was used by our clients, which were largely software companies that had very large sales forces and even a modest improvement in the productivity or effectiveness of 10,000 salespeople could have a really large impact on their share price and their own profitability. And it was the methodology that they wanted. Now, yes, with the methodology came people and we helped them get it implemented in their shop, but it was a methodology. And what that allowed us to do is to do standardized work. So instead of going from shop to shop and every project is a custom project, that's a non-scalable business. Mm -hmm. And when we went from shop to shop and we were starting with this methodology, and then it was just a question of customizing it, maybe 20, 25% for that particular client situation that allows for scalable work. And how that shows up in the financials and therefore creates wealth is that when you have standardized work, you can hire really bright people, maybe with not a ton of experience, but a lot of potential and teach them how to deliver for the client. So in that case, you're selling to the client something that's very, very valuable, but you can deliver that service with maybe less experienced people and therefore a less cost. The best example that I've seen of this, and maybe this could be inspiration for your audience, is Goldman Sachs. Everybody knows Goldman Sachs. They're one mm-hmm. of the largest professional services firms in the world, and they have 40,000 employees, but only 400 partners. So there's 400 people keeping 40,000 people busy. Now, how can you do that? And 73% of their employee base are in their 20s. Wow. And people hear that and they say, are you kidding me? Like Goldman Sachs is in every boardroom, every company in the world. And you would think, because sometimes I hear from people, well, I can't hire junior inexpensive folks because the clients won't tolerate that. Well, that's not true if you have intellectual property or intellectual capital. They're not just buying the pair of hands. They're buying all the expertise that comes with that pair of hands. So it's these models are out there. Goldman Sachs is one of many. And that's what we all, the smaller firms, all of us on this call, we should be shooting to replicate that. Yeah, I like to say, like, instead of being an expert-based business, be an expertise-based business. Yeah. So if well you're an expert-based business, then it's just you and another inexpensive expert if you get more experts, or you can have that expertise that can be utilized and delivered by less expensive resources. So yes. I love that. So I love this, what you have on your website. Stop running shin first into these three common <laughs> problems, earning too little, working too much, struggling to exit. I love the imagery of running shin first because we've all had the pain of running into something with our shins. When people come to Collective 54, are they struggling with something? Or are they just looking for community or both? Why do they come? It's a great question. And I would say that there's three types of people that come to Collective 54 to answer this succinctly. So I would classify these kind of as three problems that they're focused on. So the first group is that group that's not making enough money. These tend to be smaller firms, maybe younger firms, and 
what happens to them is they get to the point when they launch their firms, what they say to themselves is my ambition is this. I want to be able to make a living and work for myself, not have to work for a corporation. And then they have the courage and they start their firms. They have a lot of respect for them and they get to that point. But then maybe two or three, four years into the journey, they say, okay, well, my ambition has expanded. That's no longer enough. And I want to earn an exceptional living. And then they struggle with how to go from just billing out their time or maybe billing out the time of a couple of other people and growing enough to have a substantial income coming in. So that's one group that comes in and we have a whole programming set associated with that because our membership is tiered across these three tiers. The second use case is somebody enters collective and they're past that point. They're making a great living, but they're working 70 hours a week and they're killing themselves. And their approach is largely brute force at that point. And they say, listen, I got to get some scalability into this business. I've got to get some repeatability. Well, how do I do this? So we call that the working less group or the scale group to be funny with it. And we got a whole set of programming on that. And then the third group are folks that want to sell their business. And usually they tried to sell it and they were unable to because maybe they have an unsellable business or they were able to sell it, but the purchase price of the terms weren't attractive to them. And they know what their issues are and they have to fix them and they come to us and we try to help them kind of knock those warts off, so to speak, so they can go back out into the market and get a great exit. Those are the three reasons why people come to us. Okay, very nice. And so those who are struggling to exit, do you kind of like a pre-exit planning type or how do you work with? Yeah, yeah. So maybe I should have started with this. Our point of view is that the life cycle from launch to exit for a boutique pro serve firm is 15 years. There's three stages, grow, scale, exit. And there's about five years in each stage. So why does it take five years to exit your firm? Well, it doesn't once your firm's ready to sell. That might take a year. But leading up to that, it's quite a bit of work. For example, a lot of these small firms have a lot of client and revenue concentration. Maybe their top five clients are half their book of business. That's an unsellable business, right? So it's going to take some time to diversify your revenue stream. Or some of these businesses are founder dependent. Mm-hmm. And yes, they can sell their firm, but the person that's buying them says, you got to stick around after the sale. Well, then what's the point? So then we help them develop a succession plan and replace themselves over time. Well, you don't just flick the switch on that, right? Replacing yeah. a founder is a really hard thing to do because these founders are brilliant people. So getting ready for the exit is a big piece of what we focus on. The actual exit itself, there's investment bankers and M&A advisors, and they're really good at that. And that's not our area of expertise. Got it. All right. So going back to the diversifying their revenue stream, by that, if they have too much client concentration, by that, do you mean getting more clients with the same business model or diversifying the way that they serve clients? Well, the inflection point is usually this. You get to a point where word of mouth and referrals is no longer sufficient. And you have to get good at selling to people who don't know you, Mm -hmm. which usually means expanding outside of your own little circle of influence. And because up to this point, the founder hasn't done that, there's a lot of concentration because it's concentrated in that founder's kind of personal network or their personal reach. So this requires building a commercial sales and marketing engine that can do this on a regular basis, like a real funnel. Mm -hmm. Other people in the firm can bring in work other than the founder and really expanding out. So it's a wonderful thing to have long-standing client relationships with high-quality fees. But if three or four clients are the whole show, <laughs> one of two bad things happens and you're in real trouble. So you got to develop that next set of clients. Mm-hmm. So that's how you diversify it. 
Gotcha. And the other thing I think certainly that solos will come up against is when you're fully occupied, like you can't do another hour of work. Like, why would you do any business development? Like, how do you even do that? And then you lose that client and you're starting from scratch to fill that slot again. And I think that is one of the main pain points for a lot of people. So that's a tough one. Something that you might enjoy and maybe your listeners is that we have a tool on our website, which is collective54.com and it's called the Firm Estimator. And it's a 10 question estimator and you can ask the questions and it tells you an estimate of what your firm might be worth. What made me think about that tool is something that you just brought up because two of the 10 questions have to do with that issue. One question is, do you as the founder sell work? The answer to that question is yes, then your valuation goes down. The second question is, you as the founder, are you delivering work? The answer to that question is yes, your valuation goes down. Now, why is that? Well, you should have grown your firm to the point where you personally are not constrained by what you just mentioned. I just literally can't take on any more capacity. You've built a system underneath you that you can bring in more and more work and it can be serviced because you have this proper capacity planning process. So you might play around with that tool a little bit. It's a fun tool to use. It takes 10 minutes and it gets you thinking about those types of issues. Yeah, I think what you've described is what is commonly referred to as being the CEO by working on your business and what, instead right. of working in your business yeah. and getting there. That's great. Thank you for that. So what are you seeing in 2023 and beyond, like as we come out of the pandemic and maybe people who were just kind of making it as well as they can, and now they're looking to grow, what was happening out there? Yeah. So I have this wonderful study group called Collective 54, and I can tell you our members are thriving. They're doing extremely well. We do a quarterly benchmarking survey and we collect financial, operational, and human capital metrics. And I can tell you that our members are growing on average about 25% year over year. And when you double click on that and you say what's driving it, when economic conditions sour, it's really good for professional services firms, which is counterintuitive, but here's why. Large corporations start laying people off. However, the work still needs to get done. 10,000 people leave a company, all that work's got to land somewhere. So what they say to themselves is, okay, I'm going to rent it instead of owning it. And they turn to professional services firms to kind of have that variable workforce. And we're seeing that happen a lot right now. So a lot of our members are catching that work and they're thriving. They do have a different problem. And the problem is finding enough talented employees to be able to do the work on a consistent basis. Unemployment's still in the threes. Mm -hmm. And the labor market's really tight right now. But that's a good problem to have. I'd rather be supply constrained, demand constrained, right? That's excellent. So unlike most of my clients, you are someone who's already been through an exit. So usually I ask if they have a plan to exit their business someday, but you have a new business, Collective 54. What is your long-term plan for Collective 54? Yeah, so I'm very blessed that I sold my company when I was 47 years old and I sold it for more money than I can ever imagine. So my motive is no longer financial. I read a very impactful book that was given to me by a mentor called Halftime, How to Move from Success to Significance. And what I learned by reading that book is that the second half of my life, I'm now 52 years old, I get more fulfillment out of making an impact on others than I do putting more zeros in the bank account. So I don't plan on selling Collective 54. Now, I may live to regret that statement down the road because some of my employees might want to sell down the road. But right now, we're only three years old. We launched in January of 2020. I get so much fulfillment out of being in the community and working with entrepreneurs. So my plan is we want to try to get to 5,000 members and we're at 300 right now. So we got a long way to go, but that would be a wonderful thing to accomplish because 
I get to meet all these fascinating, brave, courageous founders that are trying to change their lives. And I coaching them and helping them even in a small way is very rewarding. Well, that's wonderful. I love to hear that. Part of the mission with Hourly to Exit is to help people create that wealth so that they have a legacy, so that they can do have another half, another chapter that is more impactful and more meaningful. One thing I would say to you, Erin, is I know you're passionate about helping women and something that happened by accident, but I'm very proud of is that 41% of our membership is female. Oh, that's wonderful. I know. And it wasn't intentional. Mm -hmm. It just happened. And there's certain industry segments that are dominated by females, for example, marketing agencies. There's some brilliant female leaders, entrepreneurs that are running these marketing agencies. I've learned a ton from them. HR consulting is also another great field where a lot of females are in. So I think it's great. I think this field of professional services might not have some of the barriers that other fields do it. It still has some for sure. And I'm aware of that, but it's a little bit less of an old boys network. Mm-hmm. And that's been great to have that level of diversity in the group. That's wonderful. So I know people will want to keep in touch with you and follow up. So where can people find you? I'd say a couple of things. So first, obviously, is collective54.com. And that's the number five, four. And we offer a newsletter. You might subscribe to that. It comes out once a week. It delivers three things in it. A blog on Mondays, a video on Wednesdays, and a chart of the week, which is benchmarking data on Fridays. You might check that out. And then I am a published author. I have a book out called The Boutique how to start, scale, and sell a professional services firm by yours truly, Greg Alexander. And you can find that on Amazon and that might be useful as well. Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us today. And all that information will be in the show notes so everyone can find you. Thank you so much, Greg. Okay, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. Do not forget to check out the show notes for links to connect with today's guest and for the resources, offers, and organizations that we discussed. You can also find the links at hourlytoexit.com backslash podcast. If you got value from this episode, please subscribe, and I'd be so grateful for a review. I'm here to support your journey.